You are listening to Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about famous shapes in movies. The shape of the day is the triangle. That's right. Today we're going to talk about Ruben Oslin's uh, Oscar-nominated film, Triangle of Sadness. Triangle of Sadness uh, won the Palme d'Or in 2022 at the Cannes Film Festival and is this year nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture, and also the Academy Award for Best Director, and uh, I believe a few others. It might be for Best Original Screenplay as well. That's the one I can't remember offhand, but I am relatively certain of. Anyway, uh, this is a movie that is, again, I I say this every time, but it is very difficult to spoil. Uh, There are, we, we talk about every part of the movie in this, I really don't think that it spoils anything, but um, do be warned if you want to go into this movie completely blind that uh, you will not be able to do so after you've heard us talk about it. Um, But yeah, we had... This is kind of an interesting episode for me. I can't really elaborate on exactly how uh, my reaction to this episode was. To this episode, not to this movie. Because I think this episode is... um, it's really interesting the degrees to which we had stuff to say about this movie or, alternatively, nothing to say about this movie. I think it's, uh, there's, I think, I think that, uh, looking back on it, it's, um, pretty interesting to me how, um, the, the exact amount that we had to say about it. This is one of our shorter episodes, I'll say that, but I think it is pretty, I, li- I think this is pretty insightful. Like, I-, I really enjoyed listening to Pierre talk about this. And I also had a couple of cool things to say. Anyway, my favorite thing about doing a Ruben Osland movie is being able to uh, include Refused as our intro song. So here's New Noise by Refused. Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that won a Palme d'Or. Wow. Pierre, how's it feel to be back? It feels great. This is uh, probably the most interesting movie of of the year last year, I think. So I'm like excited to talk about it. So we are actually talking about another Oscar movie today. Last week was The Fablemans. This week is Triangle of Sadness. And I did ask you this off air, so... uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you, you have an answer prepared, I know. What, what is your familiarity with director Ruben Ostwind, who 
directed this movie, Triangle of Sadness. My wait, sorry, my opinion. I said your familiarity. Oh, my but familiarity. I would also like I to know your opinion I, if you. I don't have know. One. I don't know him at all. I know he's Swedish, right? I think so. And I know this is his third movie, second the second of which has a shape in the title. But other than that, I know nothing about. I believe it's technically his sixth movie, but it's his third like high profile movie, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. His other two movies that people know both were at Cannes and he's actually one of only a few people to have won the Palme d'Or twice at Cannes. Uh, his first movie, again, that people know, I think it's technically his fourth, Force Majeure is probably my favorite. It's about two people that go on a ski trip and like, have like a tiny tiny near-death experience that they like both interpret slightly differently and it leads to this like tiny petty argument that snowballs out of control by the end it's it's really really funny i think that's like my favorite of his uh it was actually remade as a comedy with will ferrell and molly oh that's no julia was it julia louis dreyfus did it just come out yeah I heard the original was much better. <laughs> I also yeah, heard that. Okay. I'd like to see the remake just to compare, but like the original's yeah. pretty already in my yeah. opinion. Because honestly, like I thought it was a, a really cool concept, I guess. Like mm-hmm. um, I, I was surprised that, I mean, I guess it's not surprising anymore that Will Ferrell didn't make a good movie, <laughs> but I guess I thought there could be potential in that concept. And unfortunately it, it did not deliver, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, a lot of times when a movie comes out and is successful in a different language that isn't English, so often, especially when it's a unique concept like that, someone in Hollywood will be like, I'm going to take that immediately. And, like, there's really no reason to. Like, Force Majeure isn't a movie that needed to be remade. Like, it's a cool concept if it's not just remaking something else. So I don't know. I haven't, I can't speak to, uh, I think it's called Downhill or something like that yeah, is what is, the Will yeah. Ferrell one is called. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of those that like, I don't understand why they felt the need to remake it. At least, especially so soon after it came out. It was only like five years old at that point. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like remakes aren't really, because I, I don't know, like, I don't think this hurts the old movie, if that makes sense. No. Like worst case, it's like, I think the old movie gets more attention, which I like. Uh, yeah. Like, I never would have heard of Force Measure. Yeah, I had heard of... I, I'm hearing about it now, and I'm actually thinking about it. But I had heard about it because of this downhill movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then his first movie to win a Palme d'Or, his second one after... Or his first one after Force Majeure was called The Square, which actually reminds me a lot of triangle of sadness both in what i liked about it and what i didn't so much like about it um Mm. which i guess i'll kind of get into but the square i I was sort of middling on it but it's about an art installation it's like one square meter of floor and then there's a little sign that says in this square all are equal and it becomes an extremely controversial art installation and it's about the the curator of the museum who uh, has to deal with this that's kind of cool if nothing else, Ruben Ostland has pretty great concepts that he manages to like stretch into very long movies, which yeah. I think works. There are pieces of that that work and pieces that don't. And they, 
all of my complaints with the square are also my complaints with Triangle of Sadness. So uh, we're going to get into those. Yeah. I mean, on first glance, I noticed that both movies are two and a half hours, <laughs> about two and a half hours, mm-hmm. uh, which is crazy. But yeah. Anyways, well, what is the Triangle of <laughs> Do you want to try to explain what the Triangle of Sadness is about? Well, I can try and explain what the Triangle of Sadness is first. Very early on, there's kind of a funny line because the main characters of this movie are models. And uh, early on, one of them is he's doing an interview, I guess. I, I think it's an interview. He's like, wa- he's walking in front of some judges that want to hire him or something. Anyway, at one point he's walking and I guess he's got his brow furrowed a bit. So one of the, one of the fashion designers looks up at him and says, can you relax your triangle of sadness, which is just a little triangle area right in, right between his eyebrows, which uh, when I, when I saw this in theaters the first time I went, ah, you said the thing. There it is. Yeah. It was, it was very much a throwaway line. (laughs) Yeah. Triangle of sadness is, a satire about rich people. I feel like it's both really easy to explain what it's about and kind of like not easy to explain what it's about at the same time. It's a movie in which a bunch of rich people go on a luxury yacht and the yacht runs into some bad weather and some other bad stuff. And eventually, you know, the yacht goes down and they end up on a, on a desert island. So it's really just kind of about these rich people existing on this yacht and then later on how they fare on a desert island. But like, on the one hand, I feel like that almost gives away too much because at no point is any part of that actually, like I only gave the briefest of descriptions and at no point is like any part of that specifically telegraphed. And at the same time, like there isn't really a plot between that. It's just sort of rich people existing. Yeah, it's... uh... I don't know, it's like, obviously, like we just talked about, like, it's a very long movie and they they take a very, I think, a simple concept and they really stretch it as much mm-hmm. as possible. I guess I, I'm saying they, but it, I'm it, Ruben, I guess Ruben, Ruben wrote and directed it, right? Yeah. Uh, just to be clear. Yeah. So he, he really stretched that concept. I feel like there's like a very odd thing in movies now where it's like they're throwing out all of subtlety and towards rich people. <laughs> <laughs> and like because we had like don't look up which obviously was like i mean i thought it was terrible and then we had like this year we had the menu and the triangle of sadness and i think they obviously like i think these movies were much better done like i i don't hate this movie to be clear like i i like it i think mm-hmm. one of its biggest flaws though is that it it really is trying to beat you over the head with hey aren't rich people like like terrible you know like isn't this ridiculous? It's so ironic to have like these Hollywood movies that are saying this because the people that are making these movies are also like, they're obviously not like billionaires or whoever was, was depicted in this movie, but a lot, a lot of them, a lot of the, like the actors and the directors and I mean, Woody Harrelson was in this movie. He's very Hollywood are probably very rich people and they're (laughs) trashing on people that are just richer than them. But obviously, they are still very, very rich. So I don't know. I, that concept in itself, I really don't like personally. I do want I to point out, out, though, like, as well, that when you were bringing up those movies, you said Don't Look Up, which is directed by Adam McKay, The Menu, which is produced by Adam McKay, and then this one that's Ruben Osland. And like, this is... 
there's a there's a line there. It's, uh, it gets a little lost between the second and third one you said, but there's something there. I mean, Ruben Ostland, this is actually kind of I could level that exact same criticism against at least one of his other movies, The Square, and and I would because The Square is like a lot of positive reviews I've read of it are things like it's a scathing it's a scathing takedown of the modern art world, but n- no, it's pushing <laughs> on artists that are like different than him. And it's not like especially mean, but it is just very much beating you over the head with isn't this type of person quite silly? Which, you know, it's not like any of this is particularly offensive content, but it's not exactly insightful. Yeah, it it feels like it's really trying to um, put across a message. I think the more you ignore the message, the more you can enjoy the movie. Because it's like the little piece. I, I think this is a movie that is more of about the individual parts that make the whole rather than the movie itself, you know, where there's a lot of great concepts and there's a lot of great scenes in this movie and there's a lot of interesting character interactions and dynamics. I say as a whole, though, that movie doesn't make any sense. (laughs) There's nothing really there. And it's, it's trying to say so many things and it's going in so many different places that it doesn't really stick the landing in any way. But I still appreciate those moments that I get. I actually could not have said it better myself. As a collection of scenes, I I love this movie, but like it feels so long because none of the scenes like work together well. This movie is like, it's split into three parts and you can't really have any of those three parts without the other ones. But also those three parts are mostly independent too. So it's like, this movie is constructed in a weird way where it needs the whole two and a half hours, but like it really shouldn't. It's just sort of like, it's, it's written in a way where it's, it's not using that time effectively. It's just using that time in a way that you couldn't technically cut anything. Yeah. Like, like you said earlier, this movie is in three parts. I think one of the problems I had with the runtime is that it's like each part is like its own short film. Yeah. And even though we have a lot of the same characters, like the character dynamics, in my opinion, don't really carry over at all between each of the scenarios. And obviously that's like on purpose in some ways, because the circumstances for that these characters are in heavily switches up each time, I guess. Yeah. But there's no, we don't feel any sense of progression. Like for example, there's this, really lovable character i liked uh he's like the russian <laughs> was the, the russian horse manure fertilizer uh like billionaire multi-millionaire his name is dimitri and he's played by zlatko burich who yeah, i think actually won an award for this performance <clears throat> at the european film awards yeah i don't believe he, he's he provides a lot of heart to this like i because I, I think the two main characters are are characters you're not really supposed to like or really care about mm-hmm. he's he's someone that you don't really like you're not supposed to like either but he's so cartoonish that like he's like he's like charismatic anchor i guess it gives you something to like be in like i, I liked his character even though i thought he was an asshole basically um because he was fun to watch this is a fun fact i learned the other day uh zlatko burich um, the guy you're talking about, did you know he was in the movie 2012? No. <laughs> I don't think I've seen... Have I seen 2012? I don't know. Oh, uh, 
Uh, okay, well, I mean, if you have, he actually plays a really memorable role in that movie too, and it's not like a super Is memorable he? movie. He plays an old Russian. He plays an old Russian rich guy who oh. really likes Bentley cars. Is that is 2012 the one where there's like that huge tsunami and then there's like an instant freeze over everything and they have to like close That's the door? That's the day after tomorrow. Oh, okay. I was mixing those two up. Okay. 2012 yeah. is similar and might even be from the same guy. I feel like, remember. haven't we reviewed 2012? Maybe I have seen it. I just don't remember. We haven't explicitly reviewed it, but it has come up on this show. Okay. Did we review the day after tomorrow? Because I can't think of any other reason I'd watch that movie. <laughs> that one also came up on this show. We also did not review it. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. That's I think cool they were in the he's... same episode because they were in Rapture Palooza. That's the episode where we talked oh, about okay. end, of the, end of the world movies. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, but yeah, he was he was great. I think the only problem is that like I he he he's like a very cartoonish like oaf in the second one part and then in the third part he becomes like kind of a more relatable guy or whatever because he's 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 stripped of his riches and his extravagance and he's not drunk anymore <laughs> so it's like a very different person but the thing is like there's no progression from one point to the other it's just like it's like it's two different characters and even yeah. though like you can see it's the same character I, I there's no character arc there's not really a character arc for like anybody in the movie other than sort of like like the the female actress i can't the the female star in this i can't remember her name the name of the character is yaya the name of the yeah, oh, yeah, actress yeah. is charl b dean charl b dean yeah yaya kind of has a character arc sort of um but it, it's not really a good one i would say either yeah, uh, yeah i'm thinking because like i was gonna say like there's a couple of characters that i kind of think have character arcs but they really don't. They're just one character in part two and then a yeah. different character in part three. And there's like, you can, you can sort of pretend there's progression there, but there isn't, not really like there isn't a lot of progression. It's just, they change. Yeah. And it wasn't due to like any personal sentiments it was just because their environment changed so they just naturally yeah. changed and there wasn't any conflict in the change either so yeah i'd say like yaya was the only one because she i guess sort of had a relationship with the main guy whose name is carl yeah <laughs> i got the i got the wikipedia page up so i'm ready now <laughs> and he's just she's in a relationship with carl and then in the third act she kind of loses carl ironically due to the same reasons that she was with carl and that she was looking to uh move up in society in terms of popularity and that kind of turns against her when the the environment they're in changes uh because mm -hmm. they're all in the third act they're stuck on an island so the the whole concept of society and status is completely eradicated which the movie makes a very obvious point telling us like in many different ways over and over again yeah yeah, I mean, the movie is, at any point that it has the opportunity to point it out, the movie is like, hey guys, these people do not have marketable skills. Just so you know. The yeah, only thing exactly. they can do is be influencers. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it, it doesn't really mean anything to me because, like, for example, like, you, you, could, you could put anyone in any situation that they don't know anything about. And they their role in that would be subverted. Like if like it'd be so you could do that with something as simple as 
like the the Russian fertilizer millionaire, if you put him in a game of basketball, you could tell the same story. Whereas that he's a fucking he's probably a loser when he's playing basketball and he's yeah. outside of his environment. Right. But it's like the movie makes this huge like statement of like, well, now we're on an island and there's no sense of society anymore. So he's worthless. But it's like, no, he's probably worthless in like 99% of scenarios. And I don't think anyone's really denying that. <laughs> like, he's just he's really a good at. shit billionaire. Yeah. Like, that's what he does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, again, it's like, this isn't like a fresh take of anything. It, it, it's probably the least fresh take of it. I'm going to be honest, because that's probably the most literal way. I mean, it's like Lord of the Flies where you, you, you like you're literally taking away society and reshaping it because they're on an island. And so it's already been done before, quite literally, except it was probably more interesting in Lord of the Flies because they're, they're kids. And it's like, well, yeah, with that. Lord of the Flies, they're actually saying something. Yeah, exactly. I think like, you know, you, you said it right. You said it pretty much right away. Like, the less you think about the message, the easier this movie is to enjoy. Because as much as this movie is ostensibly a satire, I don't think it's a very good satire, but I do think it has a lot of very funny jokes. And like, I enjoy the funny jokes. The funny jokes don't mean very much, but like there's a scene where the person who's in charge of like all of the attendants on the yacht is like hyping them up to do absolutely everything that anyone says for them to do. Like you are to be that you are to be absolutely subservient to everyone that's on this cruise. And at the very end, and they like start doing like this big hype circle, you might get a very generous tip, which is like a hilarious thing to build up to. And then later on, you know, because they have to be absolutely subservient to everyone every single person who works on the yacht ends up going for a swim and thereby and therefore not doing their job because one person asked that 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 happened and like they're not allowed to say no those two things together are a very funny joke they don't mean anything but they're a very funny joke yeah i i think the jokes might have landed more I, i personally disagree with the pacing i think i mean obviously you'd have to rewrite a lot of it but i think this movie could have been like an hour and like 40 minutes. I don't oh, know where I'm pulling that number from, but like for that joke, that joke landed sort of, but there's like such a long time between, it's like a very long, awkward conversation of the rich woman telling, she's like, I want everyone to swim. And that, that scene itself is very good, but I think the time it takes to go from that to the people actually jumping in the water and swimming and thereby ruining the food and stuff is like, it's like 10 minutes or something and it's like it the jo- i think it could have potentially landed better if if it was a little tighter yeah uh, pacing wise so yeah but you know that yeah you're right this movie's like has a lot of really funny i mean that whole that whole scene of the ship <laughs> when they were walking in to the dining hall and literally everything was like on a tilt i i'm actually really mm-hmm. interested in how they filmed that i wonder if they like do you do, like was did they have the whole set on like a conveyor or were they just tilting the camera and then maybe they'd pull some things to fall along the tilt just to make it look like the actors were like the environment was tilting and stuff i don't know uh that was like a really well done segment and probably one of the most disgusting things i've ever seen on screen (laughs) but yeah it was that that was one of the example of of the movie being like really corny and uh 
like the the mess because the message there was obviously like look at these rich people like like how disgusting they are when you put them in a certain environment i guess which is like mm -hmm. you know again of like a very heavy-handed message but i think it it makes it better because of that scene really embraces like the ridiculousness of it and it like just goes all out there's no restraint in telling that well i think that makes yeah. it a little more interesting yeah and i think like that's maybe one of ruben oslin's strengths but it's also like it, it's a it's a strength on one hand but it could be seen as very negative he has like very juvenile humor but he's very overindulgent when he gets into that juvenile humor. Like that whole sequence you're describing, it culminates in like a five minute sequence of everybody like puking and shitting all over the place, which like, yeah. if you're into that, very funny, but like, yeah. why is that the part where he couldn't restrain himself? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is weird how he like has trouble with it. But again, I think that's because of that, because of his lack of restraint, for some reason in that sequence the that actually makes that scene work really well especially yeah. with the added like argument about communism versus socialism over a loudspeaker <laughs> like like that that scenario is just so ridiculous that it's it's funny and i i think like if you were to look at each of those things individually like for example like i, I think like just like oh my god like everyone's throwing up that's not really a funny concept right like we've seen people throw up before but when you add all these things together and how outrageous it is it gets like it just adds to the humor and then eventually it is funny also i would say that 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 sequence the everyone throwing up on the boat sequence is probably the best directed sequence in the movie because there's so many really really excellent like there's so many excellent shots in there that are just like two second gags, which are really funny to me. Um, yeah. Like there's the one scene, the one late, one of the ladies is like immediately seasick, but she's also at a fancy dinner and she wants to eat it. So she's just sitting there, eyes like almost bloodshot, looking forward, trying to like settle her stomach so that she can eat something. And then when yeah. she finally does, she'll like, she'll like eat something, throw up, drink champagne, throw up again and then it like pans over to this other rich guy that she threw up on and his expression isn't even like what is happening it's like how rude how could she do that yeah and then he keeps <laughs> eating his stuff yeah i i don't know why this when, when i think of it it's like it's like ruben uh directs throw up scenes the same way quentin tarantino directs shooting scenes <laughs> like it's just completely stupid and funny, but also extremely disgusting to look at. Uh, but mm. it's so outrageous that it's like, I think it, it adds up very well. I don't know. I, I feel like I have so much to say about this movie, but I actually don't. Like, I don't think there is much for me to say about the movie as a whole. Uh, when I was watching it, I noticed a lot of very funny, small jokes. And a lot of them, like you said, kind of take way too long to pay off. But like, sometimes it kind of works because the because like that awkward amount of time between the setup and the punchline sometimes lands but sometimes it really doesn't and like mm. sometimes he he gets away with like tiny visual gags that work really well for two seconds but like overall i feel like i feel like the biggest weakness of this movie is that it basically has no plot and the themes are either so overt that like they don't matter or they're just not even there. Like he's got nothing insightful to say with this movie, but he does have some funny characters. 
Yeah, I, I, I think he brings up some interesting ideas. Like, for example, I think that argument at the start was kind of interesting. Like, I, I don't really know what he's saying there with the whole, like, I, I kind of get what he's saying, but it's like Carl was mad at Yaya because he wants them to be equal partners in their relationship, which means she should pay for dinner as much as he does or something. There's literally no reason for that scene to be in the movie unless there's like some kind of link to like the second and third acts. Like, I think there's something there and it has something to do with this idea that Carl was willing to sacrifice or use his body in a very interesting role, role reversal to, uh, to please this elderly or not elderly woman, but I would say she's like a 50 year old, 50 year old woman that has, that has the skills to help him survive more comfortably. And I, I, I think there's something there. I don't know if I'm interested enough to like put the thought into linking those things together. Like, I, I think I could talk about those things, but like, again, like, like you said, the movie doesn't really, I feel like address anything. It, it kind of tosses a lot of ideas up in the air and then you might be able to like catch a couple and link them. But I think it would take a lot more work than it really should. And mm-hmm. even if I did, I don't think I would really learn anything. <laughs> I'd just be like, oh, that's like kind of interesting, I guess. I think that the first segment of this movie would make a really good short film. Because like just that sequence of them arguing, well, which is the whole first part, but that first part with them arguing, that's a really interesting argument. And like it never quite gets solved. Like they eventually kind of make up over it, but like it brings up a few interesting questions and doesn't really give you a good answer, but it does actually kind of engage with the material that it's bringing up and i think at least a part of that is uh when i when i saw this i saw this at tiff and ruben osland was there he was asked about that scene that's a real argument he had with his wife so like yeah that's coming from a real place and so he's just kind of putting that on screen which uh worked really well i think you know clearly he has never been on a yacht that's exploded and landed on a desert <laughs> island so like that last yeah which for what it's worth, good. I don't want that to happen to anybody. But <laughs> yeah. like the first part that comes from personal experience is by far the best in terms of him actually engaging with the material that's there. The problem is that like it kind of comes back a little bit in the end, but abstractly and like not even, you could not see that first part and you would still get roughly the same out of the second and third acts. I think, yeah. I, I like there's something to do with I, I'm just gonna throw something out there I think it has something to do with how oh geez I, I thought I had something but I lost it I don't know if I could think about it now because it has something to do with because he paid for he she wanted him to pay for his food and she said it wasn't about it wasn't about the money because she makes more money than him it was about mm-hmm. the fact that she is a woman and she she admits that she manipulated him or was trying to manipulate him but she as a woman wants to know that she's with a man that can protect her if she's pregnant and not making any money, I guess, is the point she's making. Even though she, they also clarify that she has no intention of ever marrying him because she is not in love with him. She's in that relationship for publicity reasons. But then I think it ties into the end, maybe. Because they actually, like those two, they don't really do much in the second act. They're just kind of observers. Mm-hmm. And they kind of come back more in the third act. But I saw so in the third act, 
you could argue that like before she was she was sacrificing her body because she's an influencer and she takes pictures of herself for money. He's doing the same thing on that island to get her food. So she he's providing for her through the use of his body. And I guess you could say that she wasn't happy with that, even yeah. though when the roles were reversed, she was fine with that, that she, she was using, she was being, she was using her body to provide money for herself for him, I guess. I don't know. There's something there. I'm sorry, but like, again, the movie doesn't give me enough to really care to unravel it, but yeah. Yeah, it's, I think you're right that that part that you just sort of dissected there is the closest we get to a character. <laughs> like, yeah, like I'd actually have to like write an essay about this to like maybe link it together. But yeah, you're right. That That's the only character arc there is. And I think that's like pacing wise, that's why this movie really suffers. I was bored a lot through this movie. Um, yeah even though I enjoyed it. Uh, I will say the directing though was really, really good in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I thought the script was, eh, the directing was really good. Yeah, I think I would mostly agree. Cause like, again, I think he gets so many good shots and like his jokes are definitely executed as he intends them. Like they don't always Mm -hmm. land, but like, when they do land, they land really well. And when, when they don't land, they just kind of move on to something else. But like, I, I think it's like, I think it's a pretty well-directed movie, generally speaking. It's just that yeah. that pacing is like, it's too long. And like, like I, I, I said, I said earlier that I don't know what you could, that it's like sort of put together in a way where you couldn't really cut anything. That's not really true. You could cut a lot. It's just that the way the movie is put together, it's not like there's an obvious plot and the better version of the movie would just be to focus on that. It's like, there's just sort of a collection of a bunch of stuff that occasionally ties together in unexpected ways. So it's like constructed in a way that like, um, it's constructed in sort of a free form way that doesn't really, that kind of wants all the things that happen in this movie to happen. And like, but even even though like most of it isn't necessary yeah i, I well i will it's say like a really weirdly paced movie but not, a, a, not very, in a good way he's an extremely patient director <laughs> yeah like you can you can tell with like i actually really like the way he, he lets his shots linger a lot um mm-hmm. and a lot of his shots are just like they'll just kind of it'll just sit there and like let the actors do their thing sometimes and i i personally love that style of directing but you can see that that that's not just in the shots. It's with the, the dialogue, the pacing, the editing, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah. I think uh, I think you would really like another short, a short film that he did called Incident by a Bank. It's one continuous shot and like it's staged, but it's just based mm-hmm. on like something he saw happen at a bank once. And it's from like across the street and all of the and like it's it's just 10 minutes of this bank but it's uh i won't i won't spoil what happens but i think you would like it a lot and it's literally just him having all of his actors do what he remembers the people at the bank doing the one day he was there and thought that that was the day that maybe he should memorialize in a movie (laughs) yeah (laughs) that sounds cool i definitely this movie i said this movie is probably one of the most interesting movies i've watched uh, last year i think okay i think most interesting is definitely an exaggeration but like and i wouldn't like it's not a great movie i'd say i he definitely has a style he has 
th- a, <laughs> he certainly has some themes that he likes. And uh, I'd, I'd kind of like to see uh, different ways that he's directed stuff, if that makes sense. He So he wrote The Square and he wrote uh, Triangle of Sadness. And let me see. Did he also write Force Majeure? Yeah, he also wrote Force Majeure. Okay, never mind. That's cool. I, I was really want to watch think, Force Majeure, honestly. That's, that's easily his best, I think. Um, but, cool, like, yeah. I was going to say he should just get another writer. Like, because I think that... <laughs> I, I think if he has another writer that he works well with, that writer might be able to, like, temper his worst impulses, which is... It, one thing that... It, like, it's nice that he's a patient director... But he's also a very long-winded writer. And I think that if he gets together with a different writer, with another writer, like, that writer might be able to, like, tighten up his scripts a bit. Yeah. Or maybe even editor, too. I, I noticed he edited this film as well. Um, I mean, he I think edit I'll do it. edit it with someone else, though, for what it's worth. Yeah. I would say, though, that like, it's possible that he might want a different editor, too. Um, I don't know what his other movies had, but I think... I, I, it, it does remind me of how because I remember hearing Tarantino had I think Tarantino writes really long scripts and he had a very good editor for a lot for I think seven of his movies that he worked with and uh, you can tell his movies changed a lot after she passed away where his movies like none of the fat was trimmed off for better or for worse if that makes sense yeah and I think it might have the same situation here where I think they're both very patient directors and writers. And I think this guy could make some genuinely like huge, potentially like huge movies. Not that he hasn't already, but I think he could go to another level if, if he, if he got a different screenwriter or a different uh, editor for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's already won the Palme d'Or twice and he's up for best director this year at the Oscars. Like, yeah. He's doing I think the Palm right. <laughs> I think the Palm d'Or is the more uh, prestigious award of the two, but like I think that he definitely, you know, he's far from done making movies. He's got an Oscar winner in him. I don't I don't think this is the one, but it's it's yeah. coming. Yeah, I, I can see that for sure. So, final thoughts. Uh what would you what would you rate Triangle of Sadness? Uh I I think I got to give it like a 6. Um, but I definitely recommend trying this movie out. I, it's not for everyone, but it's, yeah, it's a very interesting movie to watch. So, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I would say pretty much the same. Uh, it's a strong six from me. There's a lot, it's like, I enjoyed more of it than I didn't, but like the things that leave an impression on me afterwards aren't the story or the themes or anything like that. It's individual, very funny shots some of which mm. take 10 minutes to play out. But like, I think, I think that anyone who watches this, if they're in, if, if the humor lands, then they would really like this movie. If the humor doesn't land, then like, I don't know, it, as you said, it's not for everyone. And I've definitely seen a couple of people who just hate this movie. And I get it. Like, I understand. It's not, it, it's definitely. Yeah. This is a very hateable movie. <laughs> very much so. It's like it's like that guy with the punchable face, but in movie form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, what's our uh, what's our last word? Line. <laughs>